Hey everybody, welcome to A Worthy Treasure. Thanks for coming back and listening to another episode. Today we have an awesome person. (laughs) She's doing a fun little dance. One of my girls from my church, her name is Elise Takashima. She grew up at the church that I'm currently at, and she has been a missionary for, I I believe, about three years now, and it's been so cool to watch her just serve the Lord overseas. She's in town. We're past COVID. She's back in town. She's back. (laughs) And uh, she's here with me today, and I wanted to um, just share her story. The thing about A Worthy Treasure is we want to share the heart about what God is doing in today's culture what he's doing with the people in America, Australia, Europe, South America, all these places. Like we want to know what God is doing today and how he's moving because that'll also move our hearts. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Tiff. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being here and so glad. Yeah, and agreeing to <laughs> the chat. <laughs> agreeing to chat. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. So I want to hear about your story. I want to hear about your faith journey from the beginning. Mm. Why don't you share your testimony, like how you came to the Lord and mm. yeah, how he brought you to become a missionary. Mm. Man. Um, yeah. So I met Jesus um, in a pretty profound and real way when I was 10. I actually... My parents were pastors, so that comes along with spending like 70% of your time running around an empty church building while they're doing what they're doing and you're trying to find entertainment. <laughs> but <laughs> I remember oh being 10, I don't know if that's relatable, but um, running around just the hallways and it was um, probably like an early evening and that church was empty, but there's actually somebody practicing in the chapel on piano practicing for a worship set that evening and I was running down a hallway and I heard music and I absolutely love music so I opened up the back door of the chapel and wandered in and I remember kind of looking around and of course no one was there because it was just one person rehearsing on keys getting ready for a service um but I sat down in the back and I literally remember tracing the carpet with my fingers like who knows what my little 10 year old mind was was doing in the next moment I just felt this presence and this shift in the room I literally looked around to see who had entered or you know that awareness when something someone um, and I looked around and I saw that I was alone and my heart started racing to this day it's like I'm still grasping for articulation about it because it was the presence of God and I think we're always searching for language around what those kind of encounters are like, it just felt like there was an affection and like an attention on me as a kid. And it was almost like my inwards turned outward. Like I just felt super seen. Um, mm. And it was something that I didn't even know that I was looking for as a kid. You know, you when you do something you think is impressive as a 10 year old and you like look back to see if someone's eyes are on you. It was kind of like that moment of going, oh my gosh, someone's eyes are on me. And I had an awareness that it was God. Um, So it just felt like he drew really near in that moment and I started crying and I didn't know what was going on and I loved it, but it was reverent and gentle and powerful. And in that moment, it was kind of like, you know, the God that I knew of and the stories that I heard and I could probably recite to you, you know, even at 10 from growing up in church, you just, "Ah, you grew up hearing these things, but it was like that God stepped in and, uh, and yeah, it was an amazing place to start at 10 then going, of course, I want to know who this is and beginning to get to know 
Jesus in a way where I already had the awareness that he was close, but it was like, wait, but who is this that is close? So that really started a lot for me there. And after that, there was a lot of beginning to cultivate. What does this then mean to interact and to be in relationship? And yeah. So you were 10 years old yeah. in that moment of like meeting Jesus for the first time. Yeah. I, I really love that because I don't remember meeting Jesus for the first time when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I do have a memory of being like 12 and encountering the person of Jesus, you know, at a camp. I feel like that's the typical Christian story of like encountering Jesus at a camp when you're in junior high. (laughs) But I I remember like that moment was a pivotal moment for me in, you know, at camp, surrendering something and nailing it to the cross. Mm -hmm. That was pretty powerful for me. Totally. Um, But like at 10 years old, like what did that look like from being a PK? So I'm going to explain a little bit of PK, what a PK <laughs> means. So, uh, Elisa's a pastor's kid. PK. She's PK. a pastor's kid. She grew up running the <laughs> halls of the church here. Like, and, and, and it's so funny. I was like laughing while she was saying, I'm like, Bethel, my daughter is yep. exactly that. She's just running around with some of the other little kids that are pastor's kids. And yeah. like, I just, I just pray. Cause I know that pastor's kids get a bad rap, you oh, know? Yeah. And I just pray for, for these kids. Like yeah. Jesus just encounter these kids. And it, there's hope. There's hope because right. pastor's kid yeah. turned out to be a missionary. <laughs> <laughs> Please, Jesus. Yeah. And it's hard because you yeah. grow up with so much. I think what is the hardest part, you can grow into a really familiar place. And from, you know, from not even being conscious, you know, you can't even trace back your first memory about hearing about God. Often when you're a pastor's kid, mm-hmm. you grow up with this, like, it's normal kind of thing. And I think the reality is like every heart is still needing to encounter and know Mm -hmm. Jesus as Mm -hmm. a savior and a Lord. And that doesn't, that can't just be passed over Mm -hmm. from your parents call. And so it's really a wrestle. And I think that's it. It's hard as pastors, kids with so much exposure and so much familiarity to the things of God sometimes to wrestle out identity. Really? Mm, Um, I love that. Yeah. So, okay, so let's talk about that identity. At 10 years old, we'll go back to that. You met the Lord, encountered him for the first time. Mm. How did that define your identity as a 10-year-old? And how did you grow into it? Because, I mean, at 10 years old, you're just starting to develop your identity in yourself. Like, what did that look like for you growing from 10 to missionary, basically? (laughs) Totally. (laughs) I think it was such a really... Um, like profound time at 10 (laughs) but to encounter the affection of God because it really had a great deal of shaping me and I think in a really simple way it was like I met and encountered the love and affection of God and like in my little child brain that didn't question things very much Mm -hmm. you know well some some kids do but I was kind of that kid that was just like yeah, cool. You tell me with something I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Just like believe it. You, <laughs> you know, that, I'm yeah. like, yeah, of course God's real. And of course he, lo- you know, oh, mm-hmm. he's here and this love is for me. Okay. I'm lovable. And you know what I mean? That was just how it happened as a kid. But I think it really did shape me. There's another thing that um, happened when I encountered God in that moment, the chapel. I remember feeling, is this love? Like I'm 10. I'm like, I love cookies. I love TV. Like, love, what is love? But going, is this is this your love, God? And I remember in that moment having this comparison in my head thinking, like, I feel loved. I feel like I'm thankful to grow up in a loving family. But this is different. And, like, I had mm-hmm. that thought even as a child. And so I feel like the standard or the, the um, expectation of safety and 
feeling seen and feeling known and feeling valued began there. And I definitely kept growing up and growing older and experiencing life and being curious. And as I wandered through all of that, there was still this reality of that love, of his love, that everything was being compared to and and everything was being held up next to. And it was like, I, by far, God was the most grounding thing. That spoke into a very deep place of my heart that I think led me to not have to go looking too far afterwards for that love and for the that value and that question of like, am I known? Am I seen? can I be enough? I don't, I didn't have to travel very far because I had that encounter as a kid, which is wild. That's really wild. That's something that's really hard for a lot of believers Mm. to even have Mm. that access to saying, Hey, I know I'm known. Mm. No, I, God knows me fully. I don't need to search for it. I don't Mm. need man's approval. Mm. I don't need, you know, I don't need to be perfect because God loves me as I am Mm. and pushes me to excellence in his heart but yeah. not you know like I still struggle with oh, that yeah that is my biggest idol yeah you know like the biggest thing that I'm trying to tear yeah. down and I think if anything too for me it's not that <laughs> oh got it it was sorted at 10 uh, uh, you no, know I, but it, it laid a found <laughs> it laid a foundation yeah. where I've been able to recognize within myself mm. really clearly when yes. I start drifting and seeking other things I don't go oh I never I've I've just always known I'm loved I'm like oh every season you're being stretched in in what it means to stand in that identity but it laid a foundation for me to go oh but the source still has not changed and I'm hopefully quick to to recognize when I start wandering from that that's what was laid at 10 years old that foundation so So good so good (laughs) (laughs) thank you for sharing that and I feel like every believer can take that and say okay this is my standard Mm. Let me check my eyes Mm. from wandering Mm. and come back to that. Mm. So that's such a good point that Mm. you made. So thank you for that. Yeah. So let's talk about you becoming a missionary. Yeah. What did that look like? Like, what happened? (laughs) I don't know. That's my (laughs) No, I don't know. Um, You know, it's funny. Like, it was a step-by-step thing. God and I have... You know, I think it's part of getting to encounter him when I was young. I, I always felt like there was a friendship there. And I like to have a bit of fun. And uh, I like to joke around and mess around with my friends. And I feel like God knows that about me. And he treats me that way. But I think he tricked me into it. Um, <laughs> because it happened step by step. It was a small yes. And then it was the next small yes. And then it was the next small yes. I look back and it's been probably about five years now of actually working with a missions organization, but just answering the call to go where he would send me. I was always open to that being L.A. If he said, you know what, L.A. is the go where this is it. The harvest is ripe in in where you grew up. And so let's be planted intentionally and deliberate about you're answering the call, living life where you are. But I, I asked him to send me wherever and he he spoke about Australia. So that's how it happened. Um, I said a yes when I was 18 for the first time. You know, I just said, God, if you do have plans to send me somewhere, if there is somewhere specific that you want me, speak. And I had just gone to do a six-month discipleship training school with YWAM. So it's a six-month kind of missional school where you do three months of lectures, basically on knowing God and, and making him known. And then you go on usually like a two-month outreach. And so I had done that six-month school, and I was like, okay, cool. I did my mission stint. 
time to get back to Los Angeles. And really everything changed actually in those six months. And my perspective of God and his story that he's writing over the world opened up. And I just thought, oh my gosh, there's so much more. And so he just kept leading and he kept speaking and inviting me into the next adventure, really. Hmm. Um, usually it was a few years at a time. And that's led me to to being grounded in Sydney now, in Sydney, Australia. So That's awesome. And yeah. how old are you now? I'm 25. I just turned 25 last week. Wow. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you all. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so you've been a missionary then for eight, I, eight years. Yeah, I guess so. It was like I, I left seven, at 18 to do, uh, you know, that school, and I was assuming always I'd come back, but pretty much at the end of that school I was like, oh, I think there's a lot more here, even in this nation in Australia, and then just yeah, answering that call to go wherever. So I would say right, I say at about 19. That's when since then I've been pretty much in it because that's also when I've been I joined staff with Youth with a Mission and I've been with them since. So that's amazing. Yeah. So what does it look like to be a missionary overseas? Mm. And then what does it look like when you come back? When I was 18, I when I was le- kind of leaving home and going to go do this missions thing, which was a six-month trip, I really had this framework of missions. That missions was getting on the plane and going to the place and doing the thing. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. going to the village or trekking in the rural countryside or you're staying you know, on the church floor in Indonesia or the dirt hut in Mozambique and you're sharing the gospel. And absolutely, that is being on mission. But it's almost like every year longer of, of following God, that definition just keeps stretching wider and wider mm. and wider to me. And what happened for me was I was like, I think I was just keen on adventure as well. When I was 18, I was like, let's go, let's see the world. You know, I spent a lot of time in Australia. I spent, that was always where we'd come back to. We went overseas and, you know, eight, nine countries, and we'd always return back in Australia. And God just started revealing to me his heart for Australia and where mm-hmm. I was living in my my little beach town that I called home for two years and the people at the coffee shops there and my neighborhood and and I just started realizing like it's actually not a destination it's actually I really believe it's wherever we are and Mm -hmm. living with purpose and living called so yeah so I think that kind of stretched I started seeing Australia as where the Lord had me which meant that's where he was gonna move and when I'm back in LA that seems like the go, you know, it's where he wants to move. And mm-hmm. um, I think, it, you know, you start to get into things like, has he called you somewhere specifically? But I think the greater call is to the Great Commission. And I think that if you're not sure where he has called you, then you should just start with where you're, where at, you're at, you know? I love that you call it the go. Yeah. It's like, where is the go? Mm. Most likely it's right where you are. Absolutely. Most likely it's the people in your, that you've been ingratiated in your circle. Absolutely. Yeah. Like if you can, be missionally minded to the people like right next to you how are you going to be able to be missionally minded to the people outside of your circle who don't even know you so I love that mindset that you're like no my mission is everywhere yeah but God called me specifically yeah to Australia you know absolutely And and it was so encouraging someone said something similar to me but you know if we're struggling with place or where you know it's like mm-hmm. well you're here <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we can always start here and there's mm-hmm. people around you to love and there's ways to learn faithfulness now mm-hmm. so if you're not mm-hmm. sure about the next step which I also am not trying to say that that's easy because I think especially you know the question of where where should I be and am I doing the right thing it's a really kind of uh widely you know, known struggle and it can be quite difficult in different seasons to navigate that but you know, there's usually something in our hands. So I'm just a firm believer that that's what 
he wants to use if we haven't heard otherwise. I think we have to, though. Yeah. I mean, we have to. If we're being, uh, if we, we understand our doctrine well yeah. and our theology, we have to be people of the commission. Yeah. That's the call, is to know our scripture well mm. and then follow Jesus' commandments. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like just tell people about the gospel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Matthew 16. You yeah. know, like just just do it. You it's know, so just be real. there. Yeah, you have to. You know, yeah. like if you're, you know, like I think that there can be a really good encouragement to Christians out there. Like, just do it. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid mm-hmm. of what God put inside of you. Mm-hmm. Don't look back. Yeah, look forward. Yeah, I had a word um, this week. Oh. <laughs> she's getting knocked over <laughs> this is good yeah I had a word this week about Judas mm. about like Judas was in the circle he was mm. committed to Jesus he was one of the 12 disciples like following left everything he was in the great commission yeah. in his mission and he had his eyeball on the fence you know and I heard recently like don't think that if you're standing on the fence that you're half on God's side and half on Satan's side. Satan owns the fence, dude. The devil owns the fence. The devil owns the fence. Mm. If your foot's on the fence, you've already been lost. Yeah. You know, Satan built the fence on his property way far away from the line. Mm. Had this picture in my mind that we have to be fully like fleeing from the fence. We mm. have to have our eyes fixed on Jesus, fixed on the other side. Because if we start to turn and look at what the fence looks like. Yeah. We're going to go over there and yeah. think about what Judas did. His idol was at the fence. Right. It was money. Right. You know, right. and he he's like, oh, I can get some money out of this. And he betrayed the Great Commission. So don't think that just because you're in it, you're going to be in it forever. Like you have to partner with what God is doing. You have to actively right. choose and that's your free will. Right. And if I can encourage people who are listening to this, take that moment to assess right. like where you're at. Like what is your commission? What is, right. what are you looking at? You right. know, right. make that choice. And it sounds scary. It sounds, you know, maybe judgy. We have to think about our own hearts, right? We have to say, right. like, no, like, I'm committed, and I'm looking at the right place. I'm looking at the, at the heart of God. Right. I'm looking in the kingdom. Right. And I don't have my foot back there. <laughs> right. What is that verse that says no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom? It's, like, powerful about saying, like, the commitment to put our hand to one thing, but where where our attention is. And I think you're right. You can be saying, oh, I'm in it and I'm, I'm doing it, but without actually submitting and yielding mm. and moving forward with our attention and being deliberate about what it means to be submitted with what we do have <laughs> for God to use. That's pretty uh, pretty wild. That's so good. Luke 9.62. What does it say? It says, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow looks back and is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can do yeah. it, right? You can put your hands to the things that he, the way you're, where you feel like he's leading, but also be looking and going, oh, yeah, do I want to go back there? Yeah, I mean, and, and it sounds it sounds harsh because you're like, oh, no, I want to be back. I want to go that way. Yeah, I want to go and, you know, be with the world things. Oh, and yeah. Love what the world has and yeah. all of that. But yeah. we have to remember that first call. Like I, pr- I was praying with someone this week. I'm like, remember that first voice. Remember that first moment. Mm-hmm. Do you really want to sacrifice that mm. full love, full value, full, fully being seen? You want to sacrifice that for some like, mm-hmm. like part-time pleasure? Is it really valuable? Mm-hmm. 
it worth it or is it worth knowing the one who made you? Mm-hmm. Elise and I, we've been on a lot of little tangents here. All of the sidebars. All of the sidebars. <laughs> <laughs> so we're coming right back on the right back on the train. Okay, so let's get back to the mission, the heart yeah. behind the mission. Yeah. Elise came back from being stuck in Australia during COVID. Just stuck. <laughs> joyfully stuck joyfully stuck so she's back here mm. and she took her time being in you know back home with her family and stuff can you kind of um describe what it was like hearing from the lord in this process of like am i going to stay am i going to go <laughs> back and then what you're going back to i love hearing that about your story yeah so i have been in australia for on and off for like six years and Three years ago, God spoke really clearly to me about moving even within Australia from one part of the Sunshine Coast to Sydney. And so I've known that he's he'd had me purposely there. I was kind of at a point where I was waiting on even direction for what it meant to be there. There are some visa questions. There are some work questions. There are some even, you know, ministry. What does this look like, Lord? Where should I be focusing on and put what should I be putting work into? And as I was asking all those kind of questions, I actually you know, I'm just expecting that answer that clears the way and I can get back into it all. And the it's the visa or it's the job or it's this thing that, you know, makes it clear. But actually he started speaking to me about coming back to LA. Mm. <laughs> and it was not what I was expecting. And even it felt like really ambiguous. I was like, wait, like go back, like moving back or like, is it a visit or what, you know, it was just wasn't what I was expecting. You are asking one question, looking at one door And then you get this whisper from the side and you turn and it's like this window and you're like, what? You know, it's just not, it's not coming from where you think it is and it's not what you think it is. And so I hopped on a plane back to LA and really had no clue, had Mm. no clue. I can't, I don't want to glamorize it. Don't want to spiritualize it. (laughs) I don't want to add anything to it. I did not know if it was for two weeks, if it was for good if my time in Sydney was done, if my time with, you know, youth with a mission was done, all the questions, what was next? And of course you met with that. And I did not know. And it was super uncomfy, I think, to be real about it. I yeah. was really uncomfortable. I felt like I needed to take a little time with my family and to be thoughtful about being led forward around two months into being home. I'm going, okay, God, but really when are, when is the answers coming and when is the clarity coming about how this is going to work out and it's probably I should probably be making moves now and and doing and you know I'm not being productive and and I, I'm not you know building a career and all of the thoughts that actually just come for anybody with trying to navigate following God but also what the world says that moving forward in life and getting older should look like and I think in those months I was really learning to attach and lean into the person of God mm. And to lean into God and not into even the work that he's called us to. And that's a little bit interesting saying that because we're like, yes, the Great Commission. And I just talked about that. But we can also then begin to put, you know, value and worth in in being productive little Christian task doers and doing the Christian thing. And I think in some senses, I'm a missionary. It's like, well, I'm doing it. And you know what? No. As my heart surrendered to the one Mm. who made it and to the creator and to the one who's redeeming all things and if I'm sitting alone in a house for two months, you know what I mean? Visiting family, but I don't have that direction yet. Like, whoa, can I be attached and can I be secure there with the Lord and him truly be enough? And it was challenging. That's so good. I feel like I did the same thing 
when I stepped away from my business, I just sat mm. for two months. Yeah. And I'm like, this is so weird. Like stillness. It's, it's scary. Mm-hmm. And I just sat with the Lord and, you know, just built my heart up. And mm. I'm like, this is stupid. This mm-hmm. is not the Great Commission. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but it is. Mm. It is because, like, you're fortifying your heart. Yeah. You have to be fortified. You can't just go out right. and, like, just start saying stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> we try to. No, it's so yeah. real. It's like mm-hmm. that part about knowing God to go make disciples and to be witnesses, right? You received power from on high to be my witnesses. That part sounds super cool, like being going to get the power and going out to be the witness. But it's like those seasons of being hidden. And in the stillness and in the quiet when you're at your house and it's 10 a.m. and you're really tired of not knowing what the heck is going on and having answers. And you're leaning in, in your emotion and in your, and in what feels like absence or lack into the person of God and going, this is hard. And it's just that tender presence that's with you. And as we know God in that space, I'm like, to me, that's what then shapes us as we go out. And we somehow think that we're going to meet people who aren't struggling with that actually part, right? I think Mm -hmm. the thing is like when everyone's, when we're all productive and kicking goals, you don't feel like that huge need there. But I think what gets shaped in us when we're in that obscurity and that way that we get to know God in that space is largely the point. I think (laughs) that's what God wants, really. He wants that full leaning on him. Mm. He wants that full surrender. He talks about it so much in scripture, like, Even Jesus was surrendered and submitted to the Father, you know. Jesus always separated himself yeah. to go be with the Father like, right. constantly. Right. I mean, that's a perfect example of what we should be doing in the Great Commission. Yeah. Like fully leaning, fully yeah. hearing, and fully being still and getting his word in my heart. I kept asking the Lord, crack open my heart again. Yeah. Crack it open. Like yeah. be there with me. Yeah. <laughs> but that that's so important. I love that you mentioned that. It's just this funny dance too because – um. I feel like when we draw near in that secret place and into the stillness, we get quiet even within ourselves to hear him and just to be with him too. I sometimes Mm -hmm. put too much emphasis on hearing, hearing, but actually just to be with him. There's that point when you start to have an exchange and then he begins to put you, put people around you. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like the actual hardest part is finding who he wants to touch is actually just getting face to face. And when we do that, you look around and you can't help but see need everywhere because you're 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 full of that compassion that you've received in the exchange but I feel like especially the burnout happens when we go run out to go do and we haven't actually had an exchange with the Lord through his word and through the things that he deposits in us in that space and when we have that it's like it's not hard to be on mission it's not hard to see people who are in need of compassion in need of love and gentleness and encouragement and Mm -hmm. hope and all the things that Jesus is but I find too that's a marker for me when I'm like, oh, I don't know, I just can't, I'm not sure what I'm meant to be, where, and I'm like, I gotta go back, go back to that secret place and lock eyes again. Mm. And when that happens, then it's like not, I don't then walk myself out to go do the thing. It's like all of a sudden I've locked eyes, and once I've locked eyes, the need is just apparent everywhere around me. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm. we don't have to run out chasing those opportunities. They kind of just happen when we've been with him, you know, when our faces are shining and we come down. Mm. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about for people who don't know what it means to see Jesus face to face or locking eyes with him? Can yeah. you kind of explain what that looks like in your yeah. relationship with him? Yeah, I love that. I try to be aware too of like using these terms and it's like, what the heck? You know, we're like, give Jesus your heart. And you're like, 
What? Does what? That like? like how? It's in my chest. <laughs> like that's gross. Um, but locking eyes. Yeah, I've been. Oh, that's been something that's in the center of my relationship with God, and I've been trying to figure out words for it as well. But I would compare it to having a photo of someone that you may know you know that you want to know more that is real and there's a photograph of the person and you can take the photograph and you can look at it you can study it and you can learn a lot of things about it you can put it up on your wall and you can show it to other people and you know you can talk about this person and reference this photo and you can relate to knowing them through that or you can interact with the person themselves and Mm -hmm. you can catch the way that their mouth turns upwards when they see somebody or you can learn the tone of their voice when they ask you a question. And there's all these real life relational things that happen when we're actually interacting with someone versus just things that we know about them or what we've heard from someone else. And I guess locking eyes with Jesus, to me, that's living in a way where we're consistently knowing that God is real and that he has desires and he has emotions and he speaks and he hears Mm -hmm. and he has a work that he's doing. He is a relational God that we are created to hear, interact, know, Mm -hmm. um, and receive from. And so I think locking eyes is a lot about leaning into that relational aspect Mm -hmm. of God Mm. and having to use our (laughs) use that relational part of us to engage God and know that he's not just a photograph he's not just someone else's sermon but he's actually one that we can know you know if you know him differently than I do it's not because he's different but it's because you're you (laughs) so you know so I think it's leaning into that yeah oh that's so good that's something that's been on my heart a lot is to not just know about God, but to know God. Mm. And I love how you have this beautiful visual of like how it is to actually know God and not just to know about him Mm -hmm. through this picture. For me, it it, it helps break out of the knowledge of God. Right. Obviously those that's valuable. Even for me, like I grew up in the church and I didn't know God until maybe five or six years ago. Yeah. How could I be a Christian my whole life and not know him, mm-hmm. consistently know how to step into his room, mm. to be with him, to lock eyes, to be face to face, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, those are Christianese terms that we use. Absolutely. But I love that because for me, I mean, when, when Elise said that, I'm like, yes, I want to lock eyes again. You know, I want right. to get there and let him be in my heart and be in my space and be face to face. Like I'm face to face with Elise right now. <laughs> But we can do that with Jesus as well. I mean, if you're not a believer, I really want to encourage you. Like, God is there and he's available. He's right there. He's His heart is right there for you. And you don't have to do anything or be anything. You just have to invite him. Mm. Because God is not a forceful God. He's not going to come after you and, like, force himself down your throat. You have to invite him and you have to be willing and open. He'll always show up. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that part of your faith. I think that's going to help a lot of people open and unlock their hearts Mm. to being able to see Jesus, not just as a picture of Jesus, but actually the person of Jesus. Can you share a little bit about how you spend time with the Lord and what are some things that you do to get your heart into the heart of God and how you could encourage someone to get there and stay there? It's also how related to God and what quiet time as we like to call it or time with time spent with God has looked like has changed over the years very much for sure and you know there's so many ways that we can relate to God like um to get to know him and to spend time and there's you know there's time studying the word there's meditation there's 
worship, there's, you know, connecting to God through nature, there's Mm -hmm. journaling, there's, uh, for me, a certain season it was running, you know, and running with music on, but that physical outlet of getting into my body helped me really focus on bringing my whole heart to him, but there's so many ways, and I think for me it's largely just centered often around the word and journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, but as there's so many different ways to connect with God, like there's two things that I always bring with me in and out of season because some of my practices have changed. I always bring these two things with me or try to focus on devotion and vulnerability, mm-hmm. both of those things, because it's probably more apparent to know that we're called to faithfulness. And we're called to seek and lean in to get to know God. Like he's revealed himself through Jesus and he's invited us to know him through the word. It's available. And so there's a lot of initiative that's required to to continue to cultivate that relationship. So the devotion and the focus and the leaning in to the word and to prayer is a lot about choosing it, I think. <laughs> it's just a, I think it's a so. lot of cho- choosing it. And yeah. uh, in the same breath, I meet a lot and talk to a lot of people who check off their time with God like it's just another task in the day. You know? Like I've done that. It, absolutely, I've done so it too. So many times. I mean, that was my whole life. Yeah. That was my whole life of quiet times. I'm like, quiet times, Get check. Quiet time, check. And yeah. then, like, then it becomes less valuable because I'm like, what is this doing for my life? You absolutely. know, like, yeah. like, we can start with devotion and wanting to be faithful. I think oftentimes it does. You know, you want to, it starts out of a really beautiful, innocent desire to know God. And I want to know him. So I'm going to read the word. And, and we do it, but it can quickly become a task. And so mm-hmm. for me, that devotion and that focus of leaning into God in a certain way or it looks like a practice, you know, you have to pair it with vulnerability, meaning that as we enter into worship, as we sit down with the word in front of us, quiet ourselves to pray, we're continually going, I've got this heart inside of me. I'm in this season. I'm going through this thing, you know. Maybe I'm exhausted. Maybe I'm feeling like a million bucks. Maybe I'm weary. Maybe I'm unsure. Maybe I'm encouraged. You know, who are you bringing as you bring yourself to God? And I think that verse, you know, it says, seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole Mm -hmm. heart. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's just saying try harder. I think that's saying bring me everything. Bring me your entire heart as you lean in to the word, as you lean into prayer and bring yourself. You don't have to put the mask on to do it. It may not feel pretty to do it a lot of days. That may be frustrating. Great. Let's bring the frustration, you know, yeah. like let's bring the the weariness. Let's bring that. Hey Lord, I'm sitting down today. I want to get in your presence. I want to know you. Mm-hmm. I also feel <laughs> X, Y, Z, you know, yeah, I think God loves that real. Yeah. He wants the real you, not the polished version of you. Mm. And I feel like that's what God is doing in this generation is that he wants that real person, Mm -hmm. exactly who you are, what you don't like about yourself, what God wants to tear down in yourself. We don't have to be perfect, polished people to get to know God Almighty. It's really important to have that vulnerability to be able to say, okay, God, I do want to be next to you. Right. And then you were talking something outside of the podcast, talking about submission and surrender. Can you speak into that? Mm. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest shifts that happened in my faith was when my relationship to God changed from God being something that served me, made me feel a certain Mm. way, or I could pray about wanting things in my life to change, (laughs) and I could hope that it would, God would make certain things happen that I wanted, or that 
knowing God would bring me what I wanted and I would go to God to get what I wanted Mm -hmm. and shifting from that place to learning to go to God for what he wanted Mm. and learning to shift from God exists for what I want to going, God, I exist on this earth to know you and for what you want. And that is where I'm going to be most fulfilled actually. Mm. And basically that shift from knowing Jesus as a savior and going, you saved me for my sin so that I could be redeemed and reconciled. But, but beyond that, now I live and everything that I do and that I have in my bank account and my giftings and my skills and my relationships and my even desires, they are for your glory. What do you want to do with them, Lord? Mm-hmm. I, I bring them to you willingly, like have your way through my little life and all the little components of it. And I think submission and surrender is that. It's bringing an offering. We look at the Old Testament and we look at offerings in the altar all throughout it. And we're sitting in our, for me, I'm sitting in Los Angeles. I do not have goats and pigeons and these things that I'm bringing, but I have my life, you know. I have what's in my hand. And, and Jesus whispered something to me a couple years ago that marked me. But he said, I was, was spending time chilling in the morning and I'm like God I give you my life I said that and I literally heard him say I don't want your life and I'm thinking (laughs) what that's not God and he said I don't want your life I want your day (laughs) that's so good (laughs) and I'm going ooh it's a lot easier to toss out this term of here's my life it's so nebulous right here's my life life. take my life (laughs) and lay down my life but my day ooh (laughs) okay that's real that's a bit more real and so I think Mm -hmm. that surrender submission is a journey but I think it costs something it costs a lot yeah I want to kind of tie these things together like Jesus is so good and he knows us but it costs a lot Mm -hmm. why would you give something that costs so much to you as in our culture today everyone's like take 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 I want to be I want to define my identity I want this and this and this why would we give up something that costs so much I mean it's a an ongoing invitation as well to know why would I do this (laughs) I think you know what I was learning to surrender when I was 15 is different than what I'm learning to surrender right now the wild thing about following Jesus is that the trust or the surrender from two years ago is not what I'm using right now. I'm using trust and surrender in this moment. Mm. But Jesus says those who lose their lives or lay down their lives or surrender their lives for my sake will find life. And those who hold on to what they know of their lives will lose it. it. And I think that's exactly the principle that we're invited Mm. into in knowing Jesus is that as we trust him with these really practical, tangible things and these components of our life, like our jobs and our relationships and these different ways where we might have to surrender something if we feel God leading us a certain way, we do it knowing that whatever I lay down, I'm going to receive a fuller, deeper, richer life and joy in what he has. And that's not just like what I let go of, I'm going to get better, but it's like, in that space of surrendering something into the hands of a perfect, trustworthy God, that he's going to reveal to me life <laughs> in a way I couldn't have imagined it. It's knowing that there is an eternal life that Jesus talks about. It's like, I just believe that that's not just something that happens at the end, but it's in knowing him. He begins to speak into these areas of our heart and really release more to us than we could have done on our own. 
I really think that's the point of surrender is actually watching God do what he can do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. without our surrender, we're tied up in the mix of it. And so I think often it's, you know, even to protect us and for God to bring us into a work greater than just what we feel like we can bring on our on our own. And a lot of times it doesn't make sense, but um, it's a it's a greater life. And I think it's his way of bringing us into life that we wouldn't lose life by holding on so tightly to everything and trying to manage it ourselves. That's so good. Yeah. So can you talk about what you are planning next? What's the next chapter for Elise? next chapter um so i'm getting on a plane back to sydney i've been there for in sydney specifically for almost three years now and this next chapter um (laughs) what i know of it it's like how can i (laughs) you're like what's the next chapter to know would be amazing but what i do know is that in the last few years there's been a really beautiful gathering of some local believers in sydney different denominations, different churches. Perfect. We love it. I love it. Oh my gosh, we love it. Um, That have begun to gather, and I think it really came out of COVID when the kind of fragility of the Sunday service was like, whoa, what, what is what is happening? How do we gather? How do we be the body? We started gathering around the table, like around meals once a week, um, just creating a space to, to be together and to share a meal and to get to know each other and to dig into life together but with a consistency around the around around the table and just man watching what was happening on those dinners it was like a we were just trying to invite our friends and all of a sudden we're bursting out of our house and just the conversations and the way that the dinners ended up different every week focusing on someone you know either encouraging them about their small business or um, getting to pray over, you know, someone in university or two people met who just needed to have heard each other's stories. Like it was, we never really knew what was going to happen, but God was using it. So going back, I'm um, focusing back on that community. And there's actually four good friends of mine who are Sydney locals, Aussies, who were moving into a property together, a beautiful eight bedroom house in the middle of the inner city, a really fun vibey area. And we're going to focus on those table dinners so opening up our house to co-workers friends neighbors and just with a consistency and a um availability really to know you can show up here get a meal and find community and then we're going to be focusing on in the house just some in-house rhythms just like prayer worship and the word together like we just want to be formed and shaped and go deep together um and be deliberate in this next season about really running with people and uh, going after the presence together in our house because I think that's living rooms is oh absolutely a, a mission a mission field like and really the table the, the table and living rooms I think is something that's just so on our hearts in this next season so we're going to be intentional about that the table and then some worship gatherings not not too often but we want to gather with people from different churches you know it's not about this name or it's not about this ministry but it's actually just about coming together and mm-hmm. getting our eyes onto Jesus and pressing into praise and what we're just called to do, what our identity, our identity as worshipers. Oh, I just knocked the thing. Sorry. <laughs> you can get a sense of what's on the table. It's on the table. <laughs> like water, coffee, and oh a tambourine. Gosh, so, yeah, and a mini, the mini tambourine in the corner staring us down. Um, yeah, and just focusing on worship gatherings as well. So going back for joining that team and moving in together and just kind of focusing on those things 
And I'll also be starting to study theology at a university in Sydney. That's so good. So excited about that. I'm so excited for you. You know, <laughs> I'm like you. dabbling in theology and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm oh. loving it. So yeah. it's going to be, it's going to be such a fun journey for you to discover God. And I'm so excited. Yeah. I really know know him mm. yeah really know what scripture like is designed for yeah you know i'm so excited i love it yeah yeah thank you so much for sharing i wish i could talk to you all day every day <laughs> <laughs> so just a little quick behind the scenes we started about three hours ago oh, <laughs> we've just oh, been talking hey, baby, baby. And just going over and over, just all these fun things. Like, it's so fun to connect with another missionary, somebody who is so like-minded as me. And um, I just love your heart, and I love all the things you're going after. I love that you're such a surrendered person, and you really love just being near to Jesus. Mm. And so it's just, I feel so encouraged Mm. just watching your journey. And like, I just feel like I'm next to you and I'm with you, Mm. honestly. So thank you for sharing. Of course. Yeah. Of course. So how can people find you? You know, I love following you. uh, And how can people find you and follow you, follow your story and be encouraged by you? Yeah. um, So I'm, I'm not all over the socials and I need to need to get on more of the socials but I'm on Instagram at Elise Taka and then I've also got a website it's just elisetakashima.com and I've got some ways to connect there um, you can drop your email to follow along with some updates and uh, yeah it would be the website or connecting through Instagram following along yes and if you want to donate to her mission definitely can do that either yeah. through going to a worthy treasure.com or you can go to her website and donate directly to her um i love following your stories i love reading your email blasts mm. um quarterly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when they get out when they go out when they go out um but yeah like if you feel led to donate to her please do and uh, i mean she she does her missions with support of people like you. Like that's just how missions works. So please donate to her. If you support missionaries or if you're looking to support a missionary, please support Elise Takashima. She's such an amazing example of what the great commission looks like. She's in her go going to another nation, starting revival in local cities. She is the real deal when it comes to revival. So that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you stick around for the next few episodes that I'm going to launch. I have a handful of interviews that I've been sitting on since January, waiting for the right time for the Lord to release them. And now is the time. There's a handful of people that I met in Utah. Now, these people are so unique and very similar to my story where they were uprooted because they felt God was calling them and they all landed in the same city. I'm really excited to share their stories. Some of them are wild coming to faith testimonies and it's going to be awesome. The next episode, episode four, is going to be my friend Casey Gilboy. She actually grew up in Utah and having to navigate the religious landscape of Utah all while being a devout follower of Jesus. Casey now is a worship leader and a pastor's wife at a local church in Utah. I cannot wait to share her story. If you haven't already, please make sure you subscribe, put your notifications on, sign up for my emailing list 
so you don't miss any of these amazing testimonies that are coming down the line. If you're interested in learning more about A Worthy Treasure, why I'm doing what I'm doing, and what this ministry is all about, head on over to my website, aworthytreasure.com. Check out my story, my ministry, um, speaking engagements, revival nights, all that fun stuff. You know, we do what we do because we want to see the Great Commission. We want to see God's kingdom come to earth, and it starts by sharing His goodness. All right, guys, that's it. I'll see you next time. Cannot wait.